Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Well, I got a word for you today. I'm, uh, I want you to get your bib on because we're going to cover two chapters today, and it's going to be a meal. Uh, we're going to co- cover chapter six. There's no way that I could preach on Revelations chapter six and leave you hanging because it doesn't end very happy. So I had to bring in chapter seven to bring some clarity for chapter six. And so get yourself ready. I'm going to feed you today. You're probably going to need to go back and listen to this today. And, and if you're like, man, I don't understand what he said, it's okay. Let me know. We'll talk about it. Uh, but I want to help you understand this book of Revelation. Remember that, that this book was being written to a group of people who were experiencing tremendous persecution. They were experiencing, experiencing, experiencing tremendous persecution, and uh, they were uh, being tempted to give uh, uh, incense and worship to their emperor. And they were given an option. You can worship the emperor, or you can be mistreated and beaten and insulted and taken advantage of and hurt. And so many of the church that day were, were being persecuted and insulted and mistreated and, and facing extreme hardship. And here's our beloved John, the oldest friend of Jesus, the oldest disciple still alive, was, uh, was sent to the island of Patmos because he chose not to, to uh, give that incense to do mission. And so now he's out on the island of Patmos, and he's there, and he's feeling the burden of the church and the realities of what's going on. And, and so we've looked at Revelation, the, the lens that we needed in Revelation chapter 1, which where we saw the Son of Man. Revelations chapter 4, where we say God, a summary of the Old Testament, where we see God and all of his splendor and all of his glory. Revelations chapter 5, where the beautiful chapter where we see the lamb on the throne, amen, the little slain lamb on the throne, and yet we can approach the throne of God in our brokenness, in our pain, in our hurt, because that's what Jesus did for us, amen. And we saw that through those things, we prevail because of the lamb and the crucified Savior, Jesus Christ. We prevail. And so now we're going to jump into chapter 7. In chapter 6, yes, I said it like that intentionally, because if we look at these two chapters, chapter 7 is actually two different scenes. We actually see see two different scenes in chapter 7, Revelation 7, verses 1 to 8, and Revelations 9 to 17 are two separate scenes. And the reason we know that is because all throughout the book of Revelation, every time John was having a fresh revelation, he would say, look and see, behold. There was a moment where he would say, listen or hear and look and see, behold. That's always an indicator that John is having a a different moment than he had before. So even though these two scenes in Revelation chapter 7 are a little bit different, both of these scenes are to help us keep balance in the great tribulation that you and I will face on the planet, to help us persevere, to not give up, to prevail, even when life goes to its worst, even when life is difficult and hard, even when things fall apart, even when things don't pan out like we hope that it will, when things don't turn out and we wonder why, God, even when the world begins to crumble at its seams, which we'll look at today, we have to remember that chapter 7 is the most comforting chapter in vision in the entire Bible. And it's a reminder to us that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, are sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit and we prevail through it all. It's important for us to remember that. And what we're about to hear in chapter 6 is, is, is we need chapter 7 because chapter 6 is not very exciting. Chapter 7, needs, we need that as followers of Jesus and as a world to know that there is hope, and his name is Jesus. We recognize that the Revelation 7 answers the final question 
in Revelation chapter 6. And this is the final statement in Revelation chapter 6, verse 17. Who is able to survive? Chapter 7 answers this question. And if we look at chapter uh, 7, verses 1 to 3 today, we will see that this these few verses actually were, were meant to be uh, articulated prior to chapter 6. Look what it says here in Revelation 7, verse 1. Then I saw four angels standing at the four corners, four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds so they do not blow on the earth or the sea or even on any tree. And I saw another angel coming up from the east. Look what he's carrying, carrying the seal of the living God. And he shouted to those four angels who had been given power to harm land and sea, wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the forehead of his servants. This scene must be placed before chapter six. And the reason is, is because many commentators and many scholars and many theologians would agree that the four angels in this chapter are the same four angels in chapter six who are the angels who are called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We see that they're at the four winds and they're at the four corners and they're going to release the, the four winds in this verse and they will not destroy the earth until the seal is put on every single person who's accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. The number four used in, in this verse is used to take us back to the breaking of the first of four seals in chapter six, which bring on the riding of the four horsemen. The four winds are the four horsemen that represent the same reality, destruction. Now, I, I know you're gonna hear a lot of scary things today, but I, I told you I'd preach the book of Revelation and this is what we're getting. Therefore, chapter seven, verse one and eight, we must we actually, the, the revelation most likely was happening prior to Revelation chapter 6. The seal of God on the foreheads of all of his servants. Here John uses this language, bond servant or servant. Now, in those days when you had a servant, and it wasn't quite like slavery or, or servanthood that we would see in our understanding. Then it was a job that you would get to pay off debt. And most of the time it was actually a really great job. But one of the things they would do is they would actually put us actually literally a mark on the forehead of those servants or those slaves to let people know who they belong to and who has purchased them. And so when John is using this bond servant language to articulate in their context that, that there is something marked on these people, that, that people look at them and know, oh, I know who this person belongs to. I know who, who this person is. I know who this person's given their life to. I know who, belong, who they belong to, who they work for, who they are ambassador of. This seal is an understanding from the book of Ezekiel. John uses this phrasing from Ezekiel, and there's a passage of scripture there, and it's a very scary passage of scripture. It's, a, it's when the, 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 the people of Israel were being warned of the coming judgment because they were defiling the temple of the living God. And this judgment is so scary that six executioners were about to unleash on the city all sorts of terrible atrocities until a, in the vision, a man dressed in white linen walked through the city and put a mark on every single person who groaned and cried out to God because of the sin and the abominations of the city. And before the six executioners went out to destroy all these people, they were not allowed to touch anyone with the mark on their head. Ezekiel took this same language from the book of Exodus 
when we were in the very beginning of, of the people of Israel being eradicated from Egypt. And in the city, the death angel was going to work its way through the place of Egypt. And they were supposed to take the blood of a sinless little baby lamb, as a, a spotless lamb, and put the blood over the doorposts and over the windows of their home. That way, when the death angel came through the city of Egypt, not a single person who had the blood of the lamb over their doorpost of their life and their heart was touched by the death angel. This mark is a very powerful thing and imagery all throughout scripture, but it's so much more than just the, the marking on a forehead. Paul tells us what this mark is in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. He says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This seal in our lives is the Holy Spirit. It's, what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? He cultivates fruits, love, joy, peace. He cultivates fruits in our lives and it helps us understand the character of, of Christ and we become more like God. So that way, when people see us at our jobs, they say, man, there's something different about you. You've got patience when no one else has patience. And man, you have self-control when you're around us. When everyone else is indulging, you've got self-control. Man, there's just a fragrance of love that's all around you. It's just, it permeates from you and a joy comes from you. Why? because I have been marked by the character of God and his name is the Holy Spirit. You've been marked with a seal. This mark is why we can prevail. This is why you and I can endure to the end. And we'll get to that in a moment. But the reason that you and I can prevail is because the power of the Holy God, the Holy Spirit, is not only living inside of us, but is on top of us and in us and around us and goes before us and goes beside us and goes behind us. And when the power of the Holy Spirit is working in your life, you can prevail through any suffering, through any hardship, through any difficulty, even when the question is asked, who can survive? We can, because we have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. We have the seal of God on our, our foreheads. foreheads. Now, just a point of clarity here. Galatians chapter 7, 4, it also says, and I, John heard, notice that word heard, how many were marked with the seal of God? 144,000, I'm here to tell you today, I want to just make this clear. There will not only be 144,000 people in heaven. You need to know that today, so don't worry. When people come to your door and they want to begin to witness to you and they say they got to get you into heaven, it's because they're trying to be one of the 144. But that is not accurate reality. If you look at this, you realize and this, this 144,000 all throughout the book of Revelation, he uses apocalyptic literature, often uses symbolism to identify certain truths that these churches will understand. The, the member that the, the, the people of it, or the, the, the elders, the 24 elders in heaven, were the 12 tribes of Israel before Christ and the 12 apostles after Christ, making up the picture of the redemptive church of Christ, the redemptive church of God. And so this is and the word a thousand, one zero zero zero. A thousand in Hebrew language is a way to identify immensity, largeness, vastness, big. It, it's the, they use the word one thousand. A thousand, a thousand to articulate when something is large. And all throughout Bible passages, we see this reality. God increases the number of the Israelites a thousand times. God see, keeps his covenant to a thousand generations. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Don't you think God owns a cattle on more than a thousand hills? 
This is saying here that there is immensity. There's multi- it's multi- multiplied. It's, it's big. It's vast. It's multitude. So if you take 12 times 12 times 1,000, you get 144,000. And so we see this symbolism in the scripture to articulate that this is not a way of saying only a few will make it into heaven. This is saying that all who come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, every language, every tribe, not just the Jewish nation, come on, not just the Jewish people, praise God, but every Gentile, come on, everywhere from every nation, every language, every tribe, every person can accept the name of Jesus Christ and will be filled to multiply, to multitudes, every single person who accepts the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior will spend an eternity in heaven with Christ. So here we see that we, we push this to the beginning of Revelations chapter 6 because we are quickly identified that John looks at this vision. He sees all this going on. He hears the 144 and he recognizes very quickly that, that, that there is a warning to the angels to not bring forth the, the destruction you're about to bring forth until we can identify, until we can mark all of the people who have given their lives to Jesus Christ that they could endure to the very end. So now let's jump into chapter six. So buckle up a little bit. You're gonna be okay. The first seal here, we wanna read through these seals together and you'll notice very quickly that the four, the four seals are differentiated from the, the last three seals. And most commentators would agree that the breaking of the seals is a, the part of revelations that best explains what's going on right now in our world today. So it is a bit of a prophetic uh, revelation of what's happening in our world today. The four horses and horsemen represent the kind of things that will happen when the kingdom of God collides with the kingdom of humanity. When the kingdom of darkness collides with the kingdom of God, when God begins to press in on the earth, God begins to move in on a world that does not want him, that clash is what we will see from these first four Horsemen, Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven. Notice, watched. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow. He was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Now, some people believe that this is Jesus from Revelations chapter 19 because it says that Jesus rode on a white horse and his name was faithful and true. And I can see why many would think that based on that. But if you actually look at the context of war and conquest and, and this idea of this verse all throughout the book of Revelations, you'll see that it's actually a different interpretation. It's actually not Jesus riding on a horse about to bring judgment with the next three. You'll see that it's something far, far different in these chapters. We see that in the rest of the book, the language of conquest and war is used in relationship to the beast. In Revelation chapter 19, 11, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse. This is the scripture that, that many will use. I'm sorry. The, 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 the other one is this, Revelation 11, 7. My apologies. When they complete their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the bottomless pit will declare war against them and he will conquer them and he will kill them. 
We also see in verse thir- or chapter 13, 7. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. Later we see that demonic agents were bent on destruction. And the picture that they used was horses. And they were each given a crown in Revelations 9, 7. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. They had what looked like gold crowns on their heads. And their faces looked like humans. In chapter 12 and 13 of Revelation, we see that John articulates the vision that the Satan and his forces are portrayed as being able to conquer by deception among the world. They, de- they were deceiving by imitating Christ's appearance. Paul tells us about this in 2 Corinthians 11. These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And so we would see that this first, these writers were also, look at, they were given a crown. How many of you know today that Jesus is not given a crown? He already has the crowns. The crowns already belong to our God. Evil is on a leash. Evil is, has, is under control. Jesus has all the control. And so in this verse, we see him being given a crown and we recognize that Jesus does not need a crown. He already has all the crowns because this we're looking at the glorified Christ that we see in heaven. And so here we see in this verse today that it's believed that the first rider of the white horse and its riders represents the satanic forces in our world today that are attempting to defeat and oppress the believer spiritually through persecution and deception or both. It's also confirmed when Jesus said this in his prediction of the end of time, Psalms 24. Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you for many will come in my name, Jesus said, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many and many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. This first horse is the power of evil imitating Jesus. And this imitator is seeking to conquer our minds by leading us astray from the one true God, by preaching a gospel that is not a gospel at all. Beware, church of Jesus Christ. The first horse on the rider are those who pretend to be those ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus when they in fact are not. That's why it's vital for you to read your Bible, to know Jesus for yourself. You can't rest on a YouTube channel. You're a pastor to be your Bible reader for you. You got to know your Bible. You got to study your words. You got to know your God and your Jesus. He can't be my God for you. He's got to be your God. Amen. So we recognize in these days the Bible clearly tells us that many, even the elect, will fall away from the faith because they are led astray by this first horse. We see the second horse here. The second horse is the fiery red horse. When the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, come, and then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and there was slaughter everywhere. Obviously, red represents and symbolizes blood. And we see here that the realities of the second seal are naturally following after the realities of the first. That when people begin to be deceived and turn away from the lamb, from Christ, what happens is, is they no longer are following the way of the lamb, they are following the way of themselves. And when we follow the way of ourselves, evil begins to push against the rulership of the lamb. It's going to begin to generate uh, evil strife, civil strife. It generates war throughout the world. 
When humanity not followed, not submitted to the way of the Lamb of God, all war and all conflict in your life um, personally and in, in the world today, all is a part of spiritual conflict. Whenever there is a war, whenever you and your, your, I know this about my wife and I, whenever we are in a battle or fighting or angry, I know it's not just because we're stupid humans. It's also because there's a devil who wants to get between our relationship. We have to recognize something about this second horse that he will come and disguise himself and he will try to bring conflict across the world. And we say, God, why is this going on? It's because as the Lamb of God presses into the world, people reject the way of God. And what happens? Strife. Jealousy, hatred, anger, fear, destruction. We see that as this, it always brings about a spiritual conflict. And uh, um, this is also said in Matthew 24. I didn't put it on the slide here, but it says nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. It's because one side or both sides of the conflict have no longer chosen the way of the lamb, which is sacrifice and servanthood and love, but rather they have taken up the way of the beast, which is conflict and anger and bitterness and unforgiveness. Let this settle in your heart today. As followers of Jesus, let's follow the way of the lamb. Let's follow the way of sacrifice and servanthood and loving one another and laying down our offenses and our burdens and putting others ahead of ourselves by the power of the Holy Spirit and the evidence of fruit of love in our life. We can serve one another, listen, unconditionally, without condition. Even when you're crucified, you can still love because I chose the way of the Lamb. The third writer here today in verse five and six, when the lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, come. And I looked up and saw a black horse and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings say, a loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay and don't waste the olive oil and wine. People are beginning to choose the way of themselves versus the way of the lamb because they're giving in to ideas or a gospel or a truth that are not truths at all. And it leads them to a place where there's conflict and there's spiritual warfare. Whenever there is war, there is always famine and poverty. This, this horse here, this, this is going to release this third, excuse me, increase greed and justice and hunger and famine. And this is when we begin to see the gap between the rich and the poor get larger. The rich just keep on getting rich and having their parties. The poor just keep getting poorer. We see the gap and the greed and the injustice begin to become larger and bigger and overtly aware in our society. And we begin to see this group of people, this injustices of those who are wealthy, who are not taking care of the unwealthy or the impoverished or the broken. This is a result. This is the reality of war and choosing ourselves where, where food will be rationed and weighed and Difficult to find, and it'll be more challenging to find a benefit of food, and only those who can pay the cost will have that. This famine begins to pour out of the land and poverty across the world. And the fourth seal we see here is when the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the living being say, come. I looked up and saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death, and his companion was the grave. 
And these two were given authority over one-third of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. Notice that this, this rider named Death carried with him Hades. Death. Hades is where individuals will go who, who die, who have not accepted Jesus. And death goes across the world, as it says, demolishing one-fourth of the earth, and behind it, the grave is capturing up the corpses. This is a terrifying picture of the four horsemen of the apocalypse pouring out its wrath upon the earth. Why? Because there is a rejection of the way of the Lamb. If we look at the 20th century, I did some research on the second millennium, and we'll see that there was war and genocide unlike any other. Any other century or any other millennium, we see that some statisticians will say that in the last century alone, there were almost 200 million people murdered in genocide, in, 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 in murder and mistreatment across this last century. We learned that, that this was potentially the most violent century in history. This fourth horse is having rain and terror over the earth today. You might stop for a moment and just ask yourself, if we look at Revelation 1, 4, and 5, Ryan, you tell me that there's a, a son of man and there's a God in heaven and there's a lamb on the throne. How can this happen? Why would God do such a thing to our planet? This is the biggest existential question we ask. Why would God allow famine? And why would God allow these injustices to happen on our earth? God, I'm gonna tell you today why. I'm gonna answer this question for you. You say, why does Jesus do this? Jesus does not do this. You have to hear me today. Jesus came and died for all, that all might come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But when our human world rejects the way of the Lamb, when the Lamb of God leans in to reach out to his people, and when the world rejects his people, the result is the four horsemen pour out their wrath on the earth. When the Lamb of God leans in and the world rejects it, we see famine, we see war, we see death. We actually look at the scripture here and we see that all throughout this, there are di different scenes where seal one, if we don't go the way of the land, there'll be greater and greater conflict than the drive to conquer. Seal two says, if we do not go the way of the land, there'll be greater and greater violence. Seal three says, if we do not go the way of the land, there'll be greater and greater injustice and hunger. Seal four says, if we do not go the way of the land, there'll be greater and greater sickness and death. And Jesus says to the whole world, I have peace for you. I have love for you. I have compassion for you. I have forgiveness for you. You just have to choose my way over yours. You just have to lay down your life and take up mine. You just have to put down your thoughts and your mindsets and your journey and your pride and lift up my life and my humility. The Lamb says, follow my way. When more people reject it, the more the horsemen continue to ride. We see this idea in this verse of how reality of this chaos and violence and injustice is not a sign that the Lamb of God is not on the throne. In fact, it's the opposite. It is a sign that the Lamb of God is on the throne. When we see these injustices and this famine and this difficulty, it's a revelation to us that there is a righteous God on the throne. And if we do not embrace the reality of that king, there will be violence and chaos in our world. Because left to ourselves, without Christ, that's all there is. Let's look at this next writer in Revelations verse 6, 9. 
when the lamb broke the fish seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. You see, why are they under the altar? Well, in the, in, in the temple, when they would sacrifice an animal, the, 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 the blood would trickle down below the altar. And so this was a symbol. John used this language to identify how beautiful this sacrifice was. This was a beautiful sacrifice of people giving their lives. It was like the blood sacrifice that trickled below the lamb or below the altar of God. And they shouted to the Lord saying, oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true. How long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done? Then a white robe was given to each of them and they were told to rest a little longer until the, look at that, full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus who were to be martyred had joined them. A full number. How long until you avenge our blood? Here's the truth. It's a hard truth. More will die. I don't like this. Many, many more will die for declaring the name of Jesus Christ. Many, many more will suffer. Many, many more will be crucified and cut in two and abandoned and starved for the name of Jesus Christ. Many, many more will give their lives for the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to declare that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Yet remember, this is something you need to understand as a follower of Jesus. And these are some rich truths that I hope you understand today. That as a follower of Jesus, as a true follower of Christ, we do not look down on suffering. We recognize that suffering is the key to everlasting life. Dying to ourselves, dying to our way, sacrificing our own way to follow the way of the Lamb is the way to everlasting life. Jesus himself, the perfect Lamb of God. In Hebrews chapter five, look what it says. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with loud cries and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. Jesus was going to die on the cross and he pleaded with God, please don't make me go through this. I don't want to suffer in my physical body. He pleaded with God and God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Look at this. This is Jesus. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest and he became the source of eternal salvation for all of those who obey him. Look at this in 2 Timothy 3.12. Yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I know in North America, in our Western culture, we don't think like this, but I need you to understand today, you did not become a follower of Jesus so that you could live a perfect life. We became a follower of Jesus so we could go the way of the Lamb. And the way of the Lamb is to be sacrificed our own selfish desires for the way of God. Sacrifice our own, our own instant gratifications for the way of the Lamb to lay down our lives for others. We look at this moment here in the scripture. Don't you sense the angst where they're so frustrated? When are you going to avenge us? How many of you feel like that? God, I've suffered enough. When are you going to come through? 
God, I've, I've served enough. I've given enough. I've laid down enough. When are you going to bring reconciliation? When are you going to avenge us and vindicate the sacrifice that I've made? God, when are you going to do that? Many of us feel this justification and ownership of God. When are you going to come through like you said you would? And his word to you today is just rest. Everything's in my hands. Just rest a little longer. Enjoy paradise. Notice, in the, and this is in the throne room of God, notice for a moment that these people had human emotion. They're in heaven. They have human emotion. They're looking down on earth and they see the atrocities of the earth. They're feeling this angst and frustration of the timing of God. They don't even know when God, they don't have the full picture. Remember, they're in heaven in the throne room of God. It should remind us today that our humanity on earth is a reminder to us today that God is not expecting us to be perfect. He recognizes in our lives that even in the throne room of God, we say, God, will you please help us? And he says to you, just rest. Let me have the control. Just put it in my hands. Just trust in me. I know you don't know all the answers of what's going to happen next. I know you're frustrated at the realities of this world. I know you say, God, when will you return? Or when will you restore? Or when will you do this? And he says to you today, just rest in my provision. Rest in my grace. Rest in my mercy. Rest in my life. Just rest in your relationship with me and leave the controlling to me. Leave the reality to me. If you feel like you're suffering today, rest knowing that God is truly in control. Revelation 6, 12. Here's the tough part. And I watched as the lamb broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. The earth does not end by a meteorite from heaven as Hollywood tells us. There was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as a black cloth. Notice him try to find the language, how to help them understand it. Like he's just like, like this. It looks like that. I can't really articulate it. It's, it's like dark as black and the moon became as red as blood and then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like, like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. And the sky was rolled up like a scroll and all the mountains and the islands were moved from their places. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and every free person all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, and they cried to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to survive? Do you know that in Matthew 24, Jesus articulates that things will get so bad that if it wasn't for the grace of God, for his followers, all would perish. You might be here today and say, oh, baloney. No, no, I want you to know today. I implore you today to hear what Revelations chapter six is saying. Who will survive those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Remember, Revelations chapter seven in the beginning said, hold back the destruction until we mark all of those who've chosen the way of the lamb. And as these things begin to roll out, the presence of God and the glory of God and the kingdom of God begins to break into our earth and he's coming for his people. And he says, will you respond to my message? Will you turn your life to me? Will you give your heart to me? Because if not, in this scripture, we see what happens when God takes his hand off of the cosmos 
It disintegrates. It earthquakes. It falls apart. He says, fine. You want your way. I tried to give you my way, but you want your way. I'm going to remove my hand from the control of the universe, and the whole thing goes out of control. And here we stand on the very edge of history and creation as we know it. Who can survive? And then we come and we're reminded in Revelations chapter 7, now you know why this gives so much hope to us as followers of Jesus Christ. In the first chapter 7, we see that he heard there was 144,000, which means the multitude and multitude of those that were redeemed. But now John is able to see it. After this, I looked and behold... A great multitude that no one could number from every nation and every tribe and every people and every language standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes of palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice. Notice salvation. Those who are saved. My salvation. My saved. Who can survive? My salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worship God saying amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the 24 elders, remember, one of the redeemed, the one who'd been on the other side of heaven came up to John and wanted John to know who are these people who are clothed in white robes, that have endured to the end. Who are these people? John says, I don't know, bro, you know. It's my first time here. He said to him, sir, you are the one who knows. These are the ones, look at this, who died in the great tribulation. That word tribulation means the great crushing. The mega pressure crushing. Those who died Amongst the season of tribulation, they have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and have been made white. And this is why, look at this. This is a picture of what God has for us. That's why we can stand in the front of God's throne at the very face of the living God. And we can serve him with purpose day and night. And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. And they'll never again have a need in their life. There'll be no hunger and there'll be no thirst. And I won't be scorched by the heat. I won't feel the elements of heat, but I will be protected. And the lamb on the throne will be my shepherd. Sounds like Psalms 23, doesn't it? He will lead them to the springs of life-giving water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You say, Ryan, I want to experience on this earth today no pain and no fear. And I want satisfaction and I want joy. Listen, on this world, you will experience glimpses of this reality, but you will not experience it in its full expression until you give your life to the way of the Lamb. And one day, whether you endure, die early or die later, who knows? But until you go to the very end, we will stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords dressed in a white robe covered in the blood of the lamb and standing before the very throne of God with no need and satisfaction and contentment and fulfillment and joy never again to have a fear or worry or pain no tears no sadness we will stand before God because we chose the way of the lamb you and I are the ones who prevail and I pray that all people hearing this today will make a choice to serve Christ. Not because he makes your life a bunch of cupcakes and candy canes, but because he gives you the capacity and the ability to endure when life really sucks. 
When everything about your life says God doesn't exist, he does. When everything about our world says God isn't true and good, he is. And we're reminded that the Holy Spirit who lives within us helps us prevail through every difficult circumstance that we face. Would you stand to your feet today? Thank you for giving me your attention today as we share these hard truths. Come on, I want to pray for you. Would you just close your eyes for a moment? Now, I know that there are many here watching in the room and online who are Christians, but maybe they need to get saved today. Maybe you're here today and you say, Ryan, I'm a believer of God, but I really don't have a personal, life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Maybe you're watching online or in the room and you say, I've never accepted Jesus Christ. I've never confessed with my mouth that he's the Lord of my life. I've never confessed that out loud. Come on, today is your day. Come on, if you're here today and you'd like to make a commitment to serve the Lord today, maybe it's your first time or maybe you're saying, you know what? I've fallen astray. Every eye closed. And you're here today and you'd like to make that commitment. I can't see you online, but please email us at info at lovecitychurch.ca right now and let us know. But come on, you're in the room today and you'd like to make a fresh commitment to serve the Lord today. Would you just place your hand in the air? Come on. That's okay. Real high. It's okay. Be bold. Yeah, come on, boy. Come on, come on. Praise God. Two folks here today are going to give lives to Jesus. <laughs> come on, just keep your eyes closed. Would you just repeat after me today? Those all church, the whole church, let's pray together. Dear, dear, Jesus, dear Jesus, I want you in my life. Would you forgive me of all my sin? And wash away all the iniquity in my life. Wash me whiter than snow. I choose your way over my way. I want to bring you glory with my life. My journey today with you starts now. I want to give my heart to you. I confess that you are God. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, we just pray for the rest of the people in the room. I pray that you would move in their lives, move in their hearts, transform them today, help them to be radical disciples of Jesus Christ today. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.